Hello. Hello! You're listening to Green Minds at Imperial College. A podcast that explores topics related to climate change and sustainability. I'm Adina Molnar. And I'm Adam Eisenberg, your host for this show. We're two master's students at Imperial College Business School in London. Each episode, we are sitting down with guest speakers to talk about a specific topic within the field of sustainability and their insights on how to make an impact. We hope you enjoy the show. In this episode, we will be talking about the carbon markets. Carbon trading, also referred to as the cap-and-trade scheme, is one market-based way to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Essentially, carbon trading is the idea of trading the right to pollute, creating a financial incentive to curb emissions. Companies buy and sell their right to pollute from each other with a limit imposed on the emission permits. And this limit corresponds to CO2 emission reduction targets, such as the ones set out in the Paris Agreement. With us today is Dr. Mirabel Mules. Uh, She is an assistant professor in economics at Imperial Business School and was a lecturer at the Grantham Institute until recently. Maribel is the program director of the MSc Climate Change Management and Finance course. And this also happens to be the course that Adam and I are studying, so we are very grateful for her for creating the program, and it's great. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Her current research focuses on the economics of climate change, Seeking in particular, she's seeking in particular to understand the impact of climate change policies and climate change on firms' emissions, energy efficiency, innovation, competitiveness, and performance. So thank you so much for being here, Marabel. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very (laughs) honored to be here. We're happy to have you. (laughs) So we talked about the program a little bit. Can you maybe introduce it in a few sentences to tell everyone how great it is? Yeah, sure. Um, So the program uh, was launched three years ago, so this is the third year, and it came as a joint project between the Grantham Institute and the Business School, where we felt altogether that it was really important for both uh, parts, those parts of college to collaborate, to train the, we call you the future leaders of tomorrow. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) And we thought um, we were the perfect place to deliver such a program because uh, on the one hand, the college has all this expertise in engineering, in science, in uh, public health, in many dimensions, but also the business school and all the knowledge that the business school has in finance, in management. And this is quite rare, actually. Often business schools are sitting alone somewhere, and uh, Imperial College Business School has that specificity that it lies in one of the best universities in the world. So we thought, let's combine our forces. And so the program is really exciting because it brings together people who are keen to learn, keen to make a change on society with within businesses. And we believed that uh, change can happen through business who need to deal with climate change, and therefore they need people who are knowledgeable about these issues. And so here you are. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that was definitely what attracted me to the program, it being in the business school versus um, more of an economics and policy Mm -hmm. uh, driven program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of the programs that are environmental, they tend to focus on policy, so I agree. We could probably spend a whole episode But um, so we don't bore the audience too much, we can go um, and talk a little bit about your background first Mm -hmm. and also how you got into the space. Yeah, great. So um, basically, I'm an economist. Um, I studied at first economics uh, in Belgium, and I was looking for an idea for my master's thesis. And so I went around talking to different professors 
And one of them is called Professor Tulkens. Hi, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> said, um, oh, I, I work on this thing called climate change. And I hadn't really, I barely heard about it and started reading and thought, oh, that's a really interesting and uh, super important topic. And so I, I started working on that. Then after um, that master's, I did my PhD in economics at the London School of Economics. And at first, um, I looked at questions around cooperation um, on climate change. And then I also started learning how to analyze data at the firm level, but not on climate change, but on trade. So I, my PhD was more about, you know, why do firms trade and, and why, uh, what characterizes uh, firms that export or import. And then at the end of my PhD, what I was lucky to do was to use those tools uh, to apply them to questions that are relevant to uh, climate change. And so having uh, thought about what drives firms and uh, their actions in the, the trade dimension, um, I took it to, to the climate change and emissions dimension. So when I jo joined um, Imperial College uh, and the Grantham Institute, um, we with my different collaborators, we started thinking of emissions trading. And um, in Europe, in particular, it was um, a very, it is and was a, a very important climate policy. You definitely have some of the world leading articles on this. So this is why you invited um, you to talk about your most recent research. But maybe before moving on to um, your current research specifically, can you give the audience a broader context for the carbon markets mm, and sure. how they came about, what they are? Sure. So um, carbon markets are uh, come from the very uh, basic idea that um, if, the, if there is no price on carbon, it means that firms or even individuals are going to take economic decisions like consuming and producing without taking into account at all the cost on the environment or on society of their economic choices. So if you drive a car and you don't pay for the pollution Im impact, the impact that your pollution has on society, you're going to choose to drive it um, for a different quantity of miles than if for each mile that you're polluting, you have to pay the true cost to society of your pollution. And so um, this idea um, has led economists and policymakers to think of ways to put a price on pollution, or in the case of climate change, a price on greenhouse gas emissions. And so um, there are two ways to, to do that, or there are many ways to do that, but two of the m many, many ways is the first one would be to tax carbon, so to say for any ton of carbon, uh, that you emit, you're going to have to pay a certain price, which we will calculate as government uh, relative to the real impact that your ton of carbon has on society. And estimates of the true cost of carbon per ton uh, can vary, but it's probably uh, between, say, 80 pounds to 300, 500 pounds, depending on different estimates. And for the moment, you pay nothing. Um, 
And so another way to do that, because a tax can be quite difficult uh, to implement, is called a carbon market. It's not an easy way to do it, but it has been chosen as an option in many uh, countries and regions. And the way it works is that, the say the government says, um, we want people or we want firms or the economy to reduce emissions by a certain amount. So say you would want to reduce emissions by 200 tons. Um, then there are several ways to do it. You could say the government could decide, OK, um, you, uh, Adina, in your firm, you're going to reduce by 100. And you, Adam, you're going to be reducing by 100. And that's it. We decide. Or you could think there might be a more clever way to do it is to say, um, you can choose how much you um, reduce each, but in total, I want you to be reducing by 200. But maybe, Edina, you have an amazing technology. So for you, it might be really cheap to reduce your emissions, so you will reduce them by 150. For you, Adam, it's more costly. You will only reduce by 50, but you're happy to pay Edina to do a bit of the reductions. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thanks, Edina. Um, that means that... In, in the end, what happens is the government is happy and society is happy because we've reduced by 200 uh, tons. And you're both happy because um, if it was very costly for you to reduce your emissions, uh, Adam, you've been able to reduce by less and compensate Edina for doing the re emission reductions. And sometimes people criticize that because they say, oh, but you're being paid to reduce your emissions. But actually, this system means that the firms that are part of the system are incentivized because they they are um, reducing their emissions at the least cost possible mm -hmm. for society. So it makes efficient, um, in terms of uh, emission abatement, uh, efficient and innovative firms more able to operate at less emissions, essentially. Yeah, so exactly. So the, that's what the price, having a price on carbon why is it important? It's not only that firms are going to be reducing their emissions, it's also that it's going to give them the incentive to uh, reduce their emissions more, but also at a, at a lower cost. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you know that the price of uh, a ton of carbon was, say, 30 uh, pounds per ton, and you can think of a clever way uh, to find a new system of producing watches that would mean you, instead of you would um, be re able to reduce your emissions at a cost of, say, 20 per ton, then this will give you an incentive to innovate in new ways of produ productions that will make you make a profit. And then in equilibrium, things will, will even out. But it's this incentive for innovation that is one of the big arguments for putting a price on carbon. And um, whether it's a tax or, or a carbon market leads you to a price of carbon. So how do countries or, or regions or governing bodies decide, you know, what the cap is? So in our example, there was 200, and you were the governing body, and you decided it was 200. Mm -hmm. is, um, can you tell us kind of that process a little bit? Um, sure. Yeah. So um, it really depends on who is uh, creating the carbon market. So, for example, in the U.S., um, the, one of the first markets of this type was the SO2 market, and it, it was launched in uh, California, and it was just for a region. Um, in the case of the EU, it has be, the EU emissions trading system has been in place since 2005, and it's uh, covering the whole of the EU. 
and we'll come back to that maybe a bit later. Um, some cities in China have been running pilot schemes where it's only for their city uh, and for certain types of industries. So what happens is whichever governing body decides to launch a carbon market, they can decide on the number of permits or allowances that they are going to, uh, to emit every year. So say the EU um, has set a target such that it meets its long-term targets set by in parallel with the Paris Agreement or with um, at least the EU policy of taking us to a, a low-carbon Europe by 2030 and then 2050. So it has been setting for every year the total amount of emissions that it wants the sectors that are part of the ETS to be uh, emitting. And that doesn't include the whole economy. It, it can also define which sectors it wants to define. And um, these sort of uh, different levels are always taken, keeping in mind what the global uh, willingness is. So I mentioned the Paris Agreement. Um, before that, the Kyoto Protocol um, in 1996 was also uh, putting in place some potential uh, trading of carbon credits between countries. And these were a different type of market where, for example, if uh, someone in South America was planting trees uh, in a way that they wouldn't have planted uh, otherwise, then the, the reduction in carbon emissions that the, these plantations involved could create some credits that were then sold internationally for countries to meet their uh, carbon targets. So it was a bit as if the UN was creating a carbon market where each entity was one country. Whereas, for example, in the EU, the market is decided by the EU where each entity trading is a firm so or even a plant. So it's the level of the, the principle is always the same. We are creating a price of on carbon to change choices, behaviors, emissions, innovation. But the level at which you're doing it can vary widely depending on, on which policy is being put in place. So what, what do you think the, the most critical step is in the process? Like setting the cap, allocating, or they're all equally kind of play the role? So I think they're, they are all important uh, because, and actually it's been a, a learning process through time of how important each of these is. So I'll give you an example. Um, the, the EU was clearly at first like the big uh, policy, exper the biggest policy experiment you can think of in terms of its uh, trading system. And it, it distributed some permits in, at the launch in 2005 um, without really knowing how many it was distributing. And they were giving them out for free because they didn't want to affect uh, the way businesses would behave in terms of going to produce somewhere else. And the price was reasonable the first year, around 
20 euros or imagine when I'm talking about the social cost of carbon being in the hundreds, this is still very low. And then after one year, suddenly everyone had to declare how much they had emitted and they realized they had given way too many permits. And so the price just crashed to zero within a year. And then the second phase started in 2008. And there they were unlucky because they, they thought very carefully based on the information they had gathered how many allocations they should be giving out. And then the Great Recession hit. And so if you think of a steel producer who had received, say, a thousand tons, the, the, it would be way more, but say a thousand tons, and suddenly is only producing uh, half of what it was producing because of the crisis, they suddenly had this huge amount of permits that they didn't need because they weren't producing as much because of the recession. And so again, the price crashed with an, an extra layer that all these permits were now you potentially uh, used for the next five or 10 years. So the, the crash of the recession led to a crash on the ETS market, wh which still has consequences now. So this choice of the cap is really important. And then the choice of the allocation is very important because it's going to determine how firms react. So there's a big worry um, in the policy in the policy making world is that if you give allocations in a way that is too uh, binding on firms too soon they might just decide to go and produce somewhere else that that's called carbon leakage mm -hmm. and um, so th that is very important so a uh, quick quick question so if you're like an oil company in this deals with carbon leakage but if you're an oil company who's based in the US and you operate you have some operations in the EU your emissions hit the EU carbon markets so it's all dependent on who has a carbon market and where you're operating so companies can be a little bit tricky with their carbon accounting if there's enough cost associated with operating in a certain place yeah, so the the EU market and, for example, the Chinese pilot markets are operating in, in a similar way, is going to take as their um, participants an installation. So you would have a given plant in a given place that would be one entity on the market. Um, so, you know, for example, big cement companies, they might have 20 or 30 installations or... Um, steel companies the same and um, and so it's only the emissions of that particular installation that are going to be hit by uh, the carbon market and sure I mean they can decide where to produce and um, that's an important question that's linking back to carbon leakage but in the end they are choosing to produce at that given place in Europe for some some very specific reasons. And so far, what the evidence shows, and diff many different research um, angles show, that it hasn't had an, impa an impact on where firms are choosing to produce. Is, is this because the price is too low at this point? It's or part Is that part of it? It's part of it is that the price is too low. Yeah. Um, but it's not low enough that it's not having an impact. So we also find that emissions are reducing. Um, but it's also that there are reasons for which firms are producing in Europe. So they want to be close to their clients. Uh, the costs of transport of goods is 
can be very high. So if you think of cement, that's a big, big constraint for them. Um, they also have uh, different types of talent and productivity of their workforce that they want to uh, benefit from. So for firms where energy is only part of uh, their total cost, um, it might be the, the cost of carbon is going to be, or carbon emissions are not as important. The carbon market might not hit them so strongly. And for those that it could potentially hit, the EU has put in place a system of allowance distribution that protects them at least for, for the next few years against um, a too big financial cost of the market. And what is the current price? So actually, it's been that we've seen in recent months uh, a big spike in the in the in the price. It's around twenty five. I think it hit a, a high a few weeks ago of twenty seven. Um, it had been lower um, in the past. It th this is due to many different forces um, on the market. So, you know, it's as any market, it's being led by demand and supply. Um, there is probably an effect of supply that slowly uh, the rules that were have been put in place by the EU to reduce the number of allowances and um, to reach their target for 2030 is slowly having an effect. Um, I think there's probably also an impact on demand from the global economic conditions. Based on your research, what would have to be the price to make a bigger impact? Or what would be the ideal price that the market would create? That's a tough question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the, the EU and the UK as part of the EU was always uh, um, drawing on scenarios where they thought a price of 30 would be what was reached quite soon. Um, and it hasn't, it, it, it's only become close to that recently. It clearly doesn't reflect the true social cost of carbon, but it also takes into account the fact that you don't want to kill the European industry. So what I think what's going to be the key evolution is for global um, governance to evolve towards the linking of different carbon markets. And I don't see that happening in the near future, because if, if, if you would hear the discussions around how a potential post-Brexit um, UK carbon price would, or market, or any other option being considered would link to the EU. It's a very complex issue, and this is talking UK and EU. So imagine EU and China, EU and Australia, EU and some US states or Canada. Uh, so I think the linking is not some is very much discussed and pushed forward and. Um, solutions are being sought uh, and how to link it also with trade um, policy and potential trade sanctions and things like that. But it's, there's no easy answer and no, which is why um, it's, still, uh, it's still a very live debate. And, and the UK has a tax on top of carbon markets, right? Yeah, so 
actually some of our current research is about the UK's layering of uh, different policies. So the, the UK is part of the EUETS, but it also has the climate change levy, which come with climate change agreements for some sectors. And it also has the carbon reduction um, um, certificates where uh, firms are encouraged to reduce their energy efficiency or to improve their energy efficiency. And so we have a current project uh, we're running with a researcher at MIT actually, looking at how firms that are managed uh, well, are they better responding better to a, a multi-layered policy compared to firms that are less well managed. And so we're trying to look at this interaction between management and uh, multiple policies. And often, you know, these policies, they've come about because they were targeting different sectors, but firms often run across sectors, so they will be running uh, differently. And it's not, if you think of uh, firms, it's, it's actually part of what the carbon market or a carbon tax seeks to address is to bring to the forefront of the firm's decision making the issue of carbon. So before that, you know, how much energy a machine would um, use was probably very much decided or dealt with at the operations of the firm level. But now suddenly the financial officer will see in its books the price of carbon. And so it's sort of bringing the question of carbon to the forefront of the management uh, more centrally. And so we've been trying to do some research understanding how that might change the response of firms to different policies, how it might, and, and what we show actually is that uh, firms that are better managed are actually also more energy efficient mm -hmm. and uh, pollute less or emit less uh, greenhouse gases. And a uh, quick question on like who the investors are in these markets. Are they mostly corporates or are, there, are these are institutional investors starting to see it or um, you know more commodity trading type firms? Um, that, that's a good question. My f I'm less an expert of the market itself, but my feeling is that uh, for sure the firms that are active on the market, they have been developing an, a better expertise of the market, and um, but they can also choose to just trade once a year. So th they can wait, emit, and then um, buy the permits that they need or sell the permits that they need at the end of the year. But bigger firms, I would think, um, are more active. So they will be looking at the price during the year and also at the future price, so they can they can buy permits on a, a for the future, or they can also decide to bank permits. So the, these firms um, are probably some of the actors that are um, engaged, but there is also uh, some financial institutions that are active on the market. Um, I think that in 2005, there was a big push in financial institutions to get experts on the market and thinking that the market would straight away emerge as another commodity market and they needed experts. Actually, I think that what the, the crash that, that I described earlier, where after a year the, the price fell to zero and then the recession, means that 
there's been less engagement to in from what I know in the market by institutionals or um, other actors that you would see in a, in a normal commodities market. But this might be changing, and the recent spike has shown that. So another research project we're working on is to think of whether investors, when thinking of a stock of a firm that might be very energy intensive, are now starting to think about the impact of the market and of carbon pricing on that firm's uh, stock performance. So we, we're in the process with some colleagues here um, of gathering data on stocks and on the carbon market, uh, putting it all together and trying to see if there's anything happening there. So that that's quite exciting because on the one hand, you want the market to be impacting firms that emit, but then you also want firms that this the, the market to be impacting how investors invest in those firms. And so it's this sort of multi-tier impacting that we, we try to analyze the different parts of it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Do you have any findings yet, or can you no, give us No, I'd thing? love to have findings. <laughs> so the, the, the most recent findings we have is that, and they're, they're not that recent anymore because it's we want to check their right uh, more than once, is that um, the market has led firms to reduce their emissions by about 10% compared to what would have happened if they weren't in the market. And that's already a really exciting um, result because many people... So it's it's we always uh, compare it to Schrodinger's cat. So on the one hand, people criticize the market by saying, oh, because of the market, everyone's going to produce somewhere else and there will be plenty of carbon leakage and it's really strict on industry. And on the other hand, people say, oh, but the price is so low and it's, it's so badly designed that it, no one is reducing their emissions. And so what we find is that the firms reduce their emissions, but they, they don't reduce their employment and they don't go and produce somewhere else. What what we do find is that when firms, and it refers back to what we were discussing, when firms have several uh, plants or installations across Europe, they will play, I mean, it's not play, they will just optimize their their operations so that they might shift some of their production um, in to, to parts of their firm which are not subject to the market. So, um, but this is not like a very clear picture, but there is some indication that uh, legislating, taking into account the multidimensionality of a firm across its different production uh, sites uh, makes sense. So the governments should be looking in more detail about how they regulate the firm as a whole. Can one entity trade mm. with another entity under the same yeah. corporation? Yeah, yeah, they can. But they will often um, consolidate what they're doing. So when we talk to firms, they tell us they have a team that will look after uh, the carbon market for all their different installations. But there's also going to be local ones. So they might trade within themselves, uh, but also with other markets. So there's quite some volume of trade happening, and more and more, and the price is growing. So. It's going to be, I'm curious to see what's going to be happening. <laughs> Are there any like uh, transaction costs um, 
for the governing bodies and do governments get any revenue from this scheme from the from the trading scheme and or is it purely to cover like set up costs and that establishing is, the market that's a, a good question the the transaction cost for the governing bodies is probably quite low you know that there, there are civil servants who will specialize in uh, in the ETS um, but as there would be in for many other dimensions and it's part of their climate policy that there are transaction costs for firms so you know they have to be part of the market etc uh, but for the government there is a revenue and the um, revenue comes from the fact that some of the allowances rather than just being given out for free are auctioned and the the proportion of auctioning that has happened um, is increasing in time so for example the eu uh, didn't auction in the first year years and is now auctioning its permits in particular to the actors on the market that are not mobile so energy producing companies uh, you know, electricity producers, they have plants that are emitting carbon, so they are part of the market, but they can't go and produce electricity somewhere else with no market, right? They're tied to where they are. And so governments have decided to auction the permits to them, and this and what they have been doing, and there's some evidence of that, is they are passing on the price to the consumer, um, which per se is not a bad thing, given in the end you want consumers to take into account the price of carbon when choosing to turn on and off the lights or other uses of electricity. Um, and so this revenue from auctioning is actually quite big, and what some of our earlier research did is we thought, okay, wh how could you change who is subject to, who has to buy their permits in the auction and how much more revenue would you get from doing that without affecting the choice of firms to move abroad? And, and the numbers we found were, were quite big. You, the, the EU could raise millions, billions more by auctioning more permits without affecting the risk of of relocation. And so, what would what do they do with this the revenue they generate? The revenue. So there have been calls for the revenue to be earmarked for innovation in climate or for um, other projects. I'll, I'll give you an idea that some academics and policymakers have had, which I, f I find is very clever. Uh, but so far, it's just been pulled into a um, into the general government mm -hmm. budget. But the idea that has been uh, floated is to uh, tax carbon uh, across, say, the whole of the US or the whole of Europe, and to redistribute that tax equally to every person in the, um, in the country. And so that th the aim of that would be, one, to tax carbon and therefore change behavior of carbon production, but at the same time to make the redistribution um, compensate for the um, um, inequality that the tax might create on, on the poorest. 
I find the idea very interesting. You would every person would receive a climate carbon tax check at the beginning or end of, of the year. So it would bring the issue to the forefront of um, of everyone's mind, which which can be very powerful. But would everyone get the same amount? Yes, everyone would get the same amount. Mm -hmm. Then it's not really reducing inequality. But everyone would be taxed. Right. So if you are a poor household, you the tax would be more heavy on you because probably say your heating costs are a bigger proportion of your budget, but in but the 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 check that you would get at the beginning of the year would also be more important as part of, of your okay. total budget. So you would be compensated at, in that way. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. In terms of the future of carbon markets, what what do you see happening? What is the future of carbon markets? Are they, you kind of touched upon it, um, that they are most likely not going to be global um, in the next few years, but do you think it could ever be just another commodity? I think um, they won't be global as they won't be linked very easily, but I think they there will be more and more uh, jurisdictions where they develop a carbon market. And one example of, of that is China. Um, so we're working so with some researchers there to see how firms have reacted to the, um, the pilot markets that are taking place in different cities. And the central government has been announcing the launch of a national market for a while, and it hasn't happened yet. So I don't think it will happen right now. But it, it could come soon with you know many questions around what will it really be, um, how will it be designed, but also with the potential for um, uh, a huge impact uh, because of the size of, of China. And you could think that you know this could happen in many other countries around the world. So um, our final question we like to ask our guests, um, what do you think needs to happen for sustainability to be achieved in the future, or now, I guess? It doesn't necessarily have to be about carbon. carbon yeah, market. just if in general, is, yeah. Um, is, <laughs> I think that uh, people have to, I think, for example, what you're doing is exactly what needs to happen. Um, the, there needs to be a realization with uh, people that how important sustainability and climate change is. And I think I, I see an acceleration of that uh, awareness um, in in recent months and years. And you know we've seen this particular year how your generation um, is now clearly signaling that they are keen for change to happen. And I think this is going to be key. I think communication is important and has to happen in a clearer way. So um, the understanding across populations that sustainability is not an, something that's isolated. It, it's, uh, ha it comes together with development in the developing world and with the, con the, pot the potential to continue living in a prosperous society where people uh, are happy and uh, can uh, live lives that uh, respect the environment, respect the planet, and at the same time respect the the other humans 
and also the humans that are coming after us. It's <laughs> a very nice world view for the yeah, future. Nicely put, <laughs> yeah. Well, so thank you for let's coming. Let's be hopeful. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks for, for coming on, and well, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me, and well done on Green Minds. I think it's an amazing project, and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It was great talking to you. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Green Minds at Imperial College. Check the show notes for our website and links to everything we talked about today. And don't forget to hit subscribe to stay up to date with all our episodes.